This is the Commonwealth City Church Podcast. Thanks for listening. Commonwealth is a church in Lexington, Kentucky. For more info, visit our website at commonwealthcitychurch.com and follow us on Instagram at comcitychurch. We hope you enjoy the message. Qualifications of deacons. This is 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, and managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us into this place today to be able to praise you and hear your word. Ask that you bless Butch as he delivers the message for us this morning and that you Guide us as a church body as we move into a new season of establishing deacons for our church. Open our hearts, enlighten our minds so that we can comprehend the message today. And hallelujah, God, we know that you can break every chain. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you very much. All right, now you can be seated. Well, good morning. Good to see some uh, some new faces. I uh, hope you all made it through the uh, uh, traffic nightmare on the other side of campus. So somebody mentioned to me, uh, was it hard for you? And I went, I didn't see anybody this morning. I came in the other way, and it was seven o'clock. So uh, when they were talking about those things, I'm like, what, what are you what are you what are you talking about? Uh, we are going to be dealing with some uh, culturally sensitive issues this morning. I wish you guys had known me 30-something years ago when I first was drug screaming and kicking into ministry. Uh, I knew so much more then than I do now. And I knew it with a certainty uh, that, that frightens me today. My theological box was so small And if you didn't tick off every single point, I wouldn't have had any fellowship with you whatsoever, which which today would be a really bad thing because my wife and I don't even agree on all our areas of theology. And I've been meeting with a group of guys for uh, going on 20 years every week, Uh, and the majority of those guys I wouldn't have had anything to do with back in those days. And as I, as I think about that, I'm reminded of, of where we are as a culture, right? With social media, uh, you, you've, you've got to tick off every box. And if, man, if you've got one black mark against you, you're done. You're cooked. You're canceled, right? And, and, and I really hate that because I love it when people disagree with me. 
it leads to good discussion and good dialogue. And, and it challenges me to examine things, right? And see, okay, is, is what I believe, is my stance on this, is this the... Is, is this the biblical stance? Is this the correct stance? Is this the right stance? And, and we're losing that in our society, and it terrifies me. Because that's where growth comes from. It is when we're not in lockstep with every person around us. Uh, I'm involved in a biblical storytelling ministry, and I travel around the world. been over 50 countries in the last several years, and if you ever wonder why I'm not here a lot, uh, and, and one of the things we teach is if there is an area of Scripture that is somewhat controversial, the best thing you can do, don't avoid it, but dig into it. And that's what we're going to do this morning. As we do that, I just want to caution us, because one of the things that, that I do see in our culture if you boil down many of the issues that are, that are taking place, a lot of it gets, when it comes to, okay, the Bible says, right? I mean, the, the Bible's pretty clear about sexuality, about gender, about marriage. I mean, we can go and we can have some differences of opinion on, you know, on some minor points, but, but the majority stuff, it's not, you know, it's not like there's a big question mark where God stands on things. Uh, and, and, and yet, because it, we're not comfortable with it, there's a whole lot of things I wish God hadn't said. It would make my job as a pastor a lot easier than to say things that people, you know, are triggered by. But God said it. That settles it. You know, it used to be a bumper sticker that said, God said it. Uh, I believe it, that settles it. The reality is God said it, that settles it, whether you believe it or not. Right? I mean, it's not our belief in it doesn't really impact whether it's true or not, right? So the first temptation in the garden, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say that you can't eat? of every tree in the garden. And she says, oh no, we may freely eat of all the trees in the garden, except for the tree that's in the middle of the garden. We must not eat of it nor touch it, because if we do, we'll die. And the serpent said, you won't surely die, because God knows in the day you eat of that fruit, you're going to become like God. Your eyes will be opened. You see, what the serpent did there, he called into question the goodness of God. He called into question. He, he didn't come right out and say, God lied. God's holding back on you. God is keeping something from you that is going to be even better. He just called into question God's character. And, and so for each one of us, and I'm, I'm doing this in my own life, so please, I, I'm, I'm not yelling at you guys. If I find something in Scripture that causes me to go, well, yeah, but I think I've got a better plan, God. Then, then for me, that's a trigger spiritually to go, wait a minute. If that's what I'm dealing with here, am I calling into question the very goodness 
the very graciousness, the very love of God. Now, that doesn't mean, I want to be, again, I want to be real careful. If you disagree with where we are as a church or where we are as a body of elders uh, on some issues, that does not mean you're calling into question the goodness of God, all right? Uh, because some of the things we're dealing with today, there are great men of God on both sides, great women of God on both sides of this issue or these issues. And, and so there's room for disagreement, right? There's room for discussion. There's room for debate. But as a church, as any organization, you've got to have structure. And so uh, uh, we welcome the discussion we welcome having conversations, uh, and we welcome not agreeing with us wholeheartedly. Uh, as a matter of fact, our elder body's not in 100% agreement on almost anything uh, because, you know, you get some guys together, we're not going to be in lockstep on every, and it's okay, you know. They believe what they want to believe. I believe what God wants me to believe. Uh, you know, it's uh, it, it it all it all works out. So today is a special day historically. On this date, several things happened that impacted the in, the entire world, for that matter, spiritually. First of all, uh, the Moravians. On this date, they've been having terrible church fights. You talk about a bunch of losers and fanatics and guys that were off script when it came to theology. It was that group. They had come in from several different countries. They'd been chased out of those countries because of their beliefs. Uh, and this guy uh, took them in and said, uh, you know, okay, we're going we're gonna to establish a community. And no sooner than they got there, they started infighting. They accused him of being the devil. They accused him of being the Antichrist. And so he had a meeting with them and said, listen, we cannot have this. We've got to come to some agreement. And on August 13th, about 296 years ago today, they were having a prayer meeting, and the Holy Spirit fell in a little village in Hernhut, Germany. I, I got to go there last year. And it started a prayer meeting that lasted 24 hours a day, seven days a week, over 100 years. And out of that little group of some 300 people was birthed the modern missions movement. Long before uh, Judson went out, long before any other missionaries went out, these guys were sending out missionaries who had no missions training. And it all started because of a disagreement in the fellowship. Almost in 1801, 30 minutes from here, in Cane Ridge, Kentucky, the Second Great Awakening started. It started from a Presbyterian communion service. And before they would have communion, they'd have several days of preaching. Uh, and as they preached, the Holy Spirit fell in a powerful way. Lexington had a population of around 2,000. There were somewhere between 10 and 30,000 people that ended up in a cornfield 
in Cane Ridge, Kentucky, right outside of Paris. The Presbyterian pastor didn't know what to do because that move of the Spirit was so far outside of his theological understanding. He talked to the Methodist and the Baptist and said, I need you guys to take this over. And so as, as they began to set up preaching points all around all these different fields, God's Holy Spirit began to do a movement. This was the Wild West. Kentucky was the far west of the country. And God began to do a work, and he transformed, starting with the face of our state, and then the rest of the nation began to turn to God in a way that had been unprecedented since the first Great Awakening. And all of that happened because... People began to turn to God, ask Him questions, seek His face, and He began to do a mighty work. In the book of Acts, chapter 6, go ahead and turn there. It said, In those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews who were in the church against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. The twelve, the apostles, summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, it would not be right for us to give up the preaching of the word of God to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer, and actually in the Greek, if you look at it, I'm pretty sure it says to the prayer and to the ministry of the word. And this proposal pleased the whole company, so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a convert from Antioch. They had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread, the disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. So what we have here is there was a fight in the church. And I, I love it. We look, at, we look at the church historically. We look at the great saints mentioned in Scripture, and we see them at the completion of their walk with the Lord in full maturity, right? But there's a process that takes place. There's a process of growth. Growth comes from making mistakes and doing things wrong. So what was happening was, in the church, the church had exploded. Overnight on the day of Pentecost, some 3,000 people came to faith. Probably within a week or so of that, there was a lame man healed. And Peter preached again. And some 5,000 men came to faith. We all know if 5,000 men came to faith, that probably meant there were 10,000 women, right? And so... The church grew from 120, probably within a period of about a month, to some 20,000. Can you imagine having nursery that week? Right? You signed up to watch, you know, four babies, and they didn't have disposable diapers in those days, right? And, and, and suddenly, and not only did you have all these folks that came in, but none of them had, most of them didn't have jobs. Most of them had come in from out of town. They had come in from out of the country to attend this religious festival as Jews. God got a hold of them. They got saved. And then they needed to be discipled. So at this point, their traveler's checks are running out. Right? 
And so the church is, ah, what do we do? And so they did what the Jews did. The Jews had a thing called the kapah, the basket. On Fridays, men from the synagogue would go in the marketplace and they'd go house to house and they would collect money from the poor and, for the poor and needy. And then they would supply 14 meals for the poor folks. Two meals a day, seven days. And, and, and that was something that the church began to pick up on. They also had the tamhui, which was the tray, the daily collection of food, where they went from house to house so that in emergencies, people would have food. That started with the synagogue. That started with the Jews long before uh, the church ever was thought of in, the, in the, the minds of the Jewish people. And, and so they had this regular way of taking care of the needs of, of the poor, especially widows. So can you imagine the widows who had been depending on this, uh, this Jewish offering? All of a sudden they come to faith in Christ and the synagogue goes, no, sir, we're not doing that. You're, you left us. We're not supporting you. And so suddenly the church goes, we'll do it. But even in the church, there were you know, prejudices. Hard to imagine that in a church, isn't it? And so the, 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 the Grecian Jews began to say, hey, our widows aren't being taken care of. And the apostles went, guys, listen, there's 12 of us. There's 20,000 of you. We've got a priority. We need to pray and we need to preach. Not that the distribution of food isn't important, but that is a task God has called us to. So here's the deal. You all select seven men. They gave that, you know, holy men, full of the Holy Spirit. Do you notice anything? Look, look, at, look at those verses there of Acts 6. Do you notice anything? This is one of those, you know, we tend to look over names and we just kind of... Just zip by it, right? But do you notice anything about those names? They're all Greek. So a church that was mostly Jewish in its heritage chose Greek deacons to take care of the need that they... They bent over backwards to bring about fellowship and community within the church of God. Pretty good example for us, isn't it? And, and so they chose the first deacons. Uh, and, and, and I believe these are the deacons. There's some people that disagree, but I, I think this is the birthplace, the genesis of, of deacons. And, and you know, what did God do? He used that potential division to bring about great growth, not just among others, but it says at the end of that, it says many of the priests in the temple came to faith. So something about this, something about the church doing everything they could to promote unity and love among the brethren, even from different backgrounds, spoke volumes to these people who were still in that Jewish system. And many of them came to faith. And the apostles, the twelve, were able to do what God called them to do. And they had the deacons. Seven guys. 
seven guys taking care of distribution for a group of about 20,000, right? I don't know that I'd want to be one of those first deacons. You know, and Stephen didn't last long because they killed him very shortly thereafter, so they're down another one. And then Philip, about the time he got started, he started preaching every place, and God started yanking him up miraculously and moving him from one place to another. So then he got five guys, right, to do this work of ministry. What, were the, what was the work of ministry? They were waiting on tables, basically. But in doing that, they were building relationships. They had to be trustworthy. They had to be men of God. i got to tell you, before the two churches came together, before Thoroughbred and Commonwealth came together, Thoroughbred had deacons. And we had amazing deacons. We had deacons that deked. Right? I was constantly getting letters and cards and phone calls from people saying, Hey, pastor, thank you so much for sending the deacons over to fix this or to deliver that or take care of this. And, and I'm like, you're welcome, right? I mean, I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't do it. You know, it was, it was God speaking to them, letting them be known, letting them be aware of needs that they met. That's what, that's what deacons do. They serve the body. Now, in some churches, especially in, in the Baptist tradition, some of you all come from, uh, you know, places, other, well, even, even here in, in the big cities, but especially rural churches, what has happened is a lot of times deacons have basically taken the role of elders, where they, they kind of run the day-to-day operations of the church. I blame that on pastors who come for two or three years and move out, and so the deacons are forced into the position of, of running things, and they take on a responsibility that was not the responsibility God wanted them to have. So, But I, I understand why that takes place, right? Uh, but here, we believe in a plurality of elders, more than one elder, uh, and, and, and all our elders are the same as, as far as positionally. And uh, Andrew mentioned last week, you know, over the last couple of years, we, we recognize that there's some things we haven't done as well. A lot of that's because, especially Andrew and Kurt, a little bit overwhelmed. Kurt's going to be mad at me, but he's mad at me for other things anyway, so might as well give him a reason. Uh, you know, and talking to him, he meets with over 60 people a week on a regular basis. 95% of them are from our church, right? Right? Uh, ministering, counseling, discipling. And I'm not saying that to, to praise and promote my son because anybody that knows me knows it's not what I do. <laughs> not my gifting. But, but to say that we've got, you know, we've got guys that are out there in the, in, the, in the streets doing things. They're doing the ministry of the church. And so that is why over the last, it's been well over a year now, as an elder body, we started praying and seeking God's face and discussing and arguing and fighting about deacons. And we feel it's time for us to allow the church to begin praying through, discovering who God is calling from our midst. As deacons, we don't have a number yet. We don't know exactly what it's going to look like. We're all in this journey together, right? 
But I want to read to you out of 1 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, and you guys go ahead and turn there. I'm going to read out of the New American Standard Version because there's going to be something a little different in this version than what most of your versions are going to say. I'm going to explain it in a second. Deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they're beyond reproach. And here's the difference. Here's the verse that's different. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and their own households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So it, it gives the requirements there for, you know, that basically men of great character. But then that verse 11, women must likewise be dignified. In many versions it says, and their wives must likewise be dignified. But if you think about it, the requirements for elders and deacons that come, that, uh, that the elders' requirements are just before this in Timothy, never mentions wives. The, the major difference is that elders must be apt to teach. Doesn't mean deacons can't teach, but elders must be apt to teach. Part of their role is to teach. But it doesn't have that for deacons. But for elders, there's nothing said about their wives. So it would seem strange to have that requirement when it came to deacons and not for, not for elders. But if you look in the Greek, which is why the, the, you have the differences in the translation here, it, it's not wives, it's women. The, the initial translators added the wives because it made sense. So because of that... There are many church traditions, and, and okay, trigger alert, just, just be ready, hold on to your seat. We believe as a church that the teaching responsibilities from the stage belong to men. If you go to 1 Timothy chapter 2 and read about uh, you know, those requirements and other places, we believe the key responsibilities to teach not because men are better or because we're more spiritual. Because if you've ever met a woman in the church and you've met a man in the church, it's pretty obvious usually who the most spiritual is. Right? Anybody that knows my wife and me. <laughs> you know, uh, the, the, the argument is settled right there. Right? So it, it's not a matter of importance or ability, but as a church, one of the distinctives we have is we are a complementarian church. In other words, we believe that God designed men and women equal, but he's made us different in a lot of ways, praise God, right? He, he's made us different in things that really matter. In the garden, God saw that Adam was alone, and it's the first time he said it's not good. And then he created the woman from Adam's rib as a helpmeet, 
That doesn't mean as a servant. It doesn't mean that she was, she was made to, to meet his every need and make sure his eggs were cooked right in the morning. Right? It, it means that she made him better. That as a team, they became one flesh. They became complete together. Now, and I want to be real careful there. All you single folks, some of you God has called to singleness. And it's a high calling. Not my words, Paul's. Some of you are single because you don't have any idea why. Right? Some of you guys, I just want to grab you by the scruff of your neck and go, what's wrong with you? There's amazing women in this church that are waiting for a guy to come and pursue them in a godly manner. But it's not a matter of marriage being better than singles, singles being better. It's just different stages, right? Different callings. And God will honor all of them. But we believe, as a church, that there are differences. And, and, and it's, it's, it's okay. But in 1 Timothy, we have come, and, and I've got to tell you, there was one old guy on the elder board uh, that was just really hesitant, uh, just really fought this tooth and nail. And he's speaking to you this morning. Because uh, here's the deal. In a, lot of, in a lot of Baptist churches, the deacons are the leaders. They have the authority, right? Uh, and, and so people coming in from outside if they see that we have female deacons, I was afraid that would be a trigger for them. But, you know, I started reading a lot. I've read three books on this issue this week. <laughs> uh, and uh, it's amazing to me how many very conservative, Bible-believing, God-loving people, uh, John MacArthur, uh, you know, David Platt. But MacArthur's church had female deacons forever. So our, our goal is to have female deacons, to have basically couple service deacons, individual service deacons. We're not sure who's God, who God's going to call. We're, we're not going through a list and saying, yep, 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 no, yep, yep, yep. You know, we're, we're going to leave, leave that up to the Holy Spirit. But we are seeking God's face and seeking God's direction because here's the reality. If you've been here for the last couple of months, have you noticed something? We have a lot of commissioning services. We've been doing that for years. Within a week or two, we'll be celebrating our sixth anniversary as a combined church. And during that time, I would say there's very few periods of a month or two months that have gone by without us commissioning somebody to go somewhere and serve. We have a number of folks who are on the mission field. Uh, we've had a church that was birthed out of our church, and, and we just keep sending people out as it is supposed to be. But you know what happens when you keep sending people out? You lose people. You know, it's not like we're going through and saying, well, yeah, you really don't have a lot to offer. Why don't you go serve somewhere? <laughs> you know, usually it's your best and brightest and most gifted, Right? And God has been so faithful to call folks to serve. And that's what Andrew was talking about last week. 
but we want to build that service body even more. And so next week, you're going to hear more about that. I've just brought up questions that everybody will be talking about at lunch. And that, what, was, what was that old white guy doing mansplaining this stuff for us? Right? Uh, <laughs> but hopefully, I want to challenge you. Go to the Word. Go to the Word and see what God said. Go to the Word and see how you understand it. And if you have questions, come and see us. We want to have those conversations. If you're really good, we might buy a cup of coffee. Right? But the overall goal is for the church of Jesus Christ to grow. It's for exactly what happened in, in, in Acts 6. That many came to faith, even those that were the hardest to reach. Right? When they see us grappling with truth and grappling with differences and struggling to walk together, because it's not easy. Anybody that's been married for longer than five minutes knows exactly what I'm talking about, right? It's not easy. It requires us to humble ourselves and seek God's face. But here's the deal. Going back to where we started, if, if you're struggling, well, I, I don't agree with this, and I don't agree with that. I understand. I totally understand, but I would challenge you. Is it a question of God's love that you're questioning? Is God good? Does he have our best interest at heart? So as he calls us to do things, what is his, what is, what is his motive? And it's always for our good and his glory, right? I mean, that's just... That's just the reality. And so as we get ready to celebrate communion, I want to challenge you as as you come and partake of the cup and partake of the bread, remembering that great sacrifice that Jesus made. He did that so we would be unified with him and with one another. And so as we come and celebrate that, the unity of the body of Christ Rejoice in the fact that just as a husband and wife are called to be one flesh, those of us, whether Hellenistic Jews or the traditional Jews or somebody that never heard the gospel or somebody was raised in a, in a Christian home, through Christ, we are called to be one body. So as the band comes up to lead us in worship, let's pray, and then as God leads come and participate in communion. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the things that are a little difficult for us sometimes to understand. I thank you, Lord, for those things that challenge us, that push against our norms. Most of all, Lord, I thank you for your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would help us as we walk this journey as a church, as individuals. And I pray that you might do a work in our fellowship so that those outside the faith would see and turn to you. May this time of celebrating what you did for us, may this be part of you speaking to our hearts and joining us together as one. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.